I'm going to pray mostly for me, <laughs> and then we're going to get started. Um, come, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and be in this space, to come and encounter us however you want to encounter us. God, I ask that as you come and just blow through this place, that people in this space would encounter you in a way they've never encountered you before. I just have this real sense of he's bringing freedom. Farah talked about victory this morning when he closed worship, and I have this sense of God bringing freedom this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. So the last few weeks, we've been in a sermon series going through our core value of presence focused. Um, and I'm going to continue that today. Um, last week, I talked about the key to experiencing the presence of God is awareness. And so just for a second, I just want you to shift in your mind right now into awareness of his presence. Because if you encounter his presence while I'm speaking and you don't hear me speak, I'd rather that be the case. <laughs> Last week we talked about when you experience peace, you're actually experiencing a person. He's the Prince of Peace. When you experience love, you're experiencing a person. He's love. And you experience him when you become aware that he's with you and that he's never leaving. But this week, I'm going to talk a little, we're going to take kind of a sharp left turn. We're going to give a biblical foundation for some of the things that make people a little uncomfortable in a presence-focused culture, like the one that we have here. In John 1, 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word, that, that Word, the Word, is the word logos in Greek. It's the word that we get logic from and how many of you know that sometimes God's logic and my logic don't always look like the same thing and sometimes his logic is a little bit scary it was the logic of God to touch lepers the logic of man was to avoid them It was the logic of God to eat dinner with sinners and rebuke the religious. It was his logic to pick 12 fishermen and not the theologically trained. I don't know that I would have done that. My logic and his logic don't always look the same. And in a presence-focused culture, Sometimes the logic of God 
looks a little different. I'm going to share a couple of historical um, stories. I'm going to talk a little bit about John Wesley and George Whitefield. Um, They were two, I would describe them as being revivalists that were around in the 1700s. And they were both founders of the Methodist Church, the Methodist movement. Um, This was what's written about one of John Wesley's meetings. This is from his journal. About three in the morning, (laughs) as we were continuing instant in prayer, the power of God came mightily upon us, insomuch that many cried out for exceeding joy and many fell to the ground. Someone else described his meetings this way. There were people weeping, violently shaking, falling down, and losing consciousness. How many of you would feel a little uncomfortable in that meeting? <laughs> yeah. George Whitefield was a friend of John Wesley's, and they liked to go back and forth theologically with each other. They'd kind of spar with each other. And George Whitefield had made up his mind that these manifestations were not biblical. They were not the Lord. So they argued back and forth about whether or not it was God in these meetings. And George Whitefield had to change his tune At this meeting, this is what's written. No sooner had he begun to invite all sinners to believe in Christ than four persons fell down close to him almost at the same moment. One of them lay without either sense. A second trembled exceedingly. The third had strong convulsions over his whole body but made no, mo- no noise unless by groans. The fourth equally convulsed, called upon God with strong cries and tears. I would be uncomfortable. <laughs> in a presence-focused culture, often people will manifest in ways that are uncomfortable. But uncomfortable and unbiblical are two different things. Uncomfortable and unbiblical are two different things. And so this morning I'm going to give a biblical foundation for why that can happen. I find that people get scared for two reasons. They get really afraid when they can't explain something. And they get really afraid when they can't contain something. God who is infinite meeting finite people It's pretty hard to always explain and contain him. But uncomfortable and unbiblical are two different things. So I'm going to give some context for this. I'm going to start by defining it. What is a manifestation? If you've ever seen somebody shaking under the presence or somebody who goes down in the spirit like they've passed out, What really is that? I would define it this way. It's their body's reaction to the presence of God. 
God is not shaking the person. God is not causing them to fall down. It's their body's reaction to the presence of God moving on them. A manifestation is not a revelation of how, how anointed someone is. It's not revealing anything about their character. It's just their response to God's movement. Yeah. So why do some people shake and some people stand still and some people fall and some people giggle and some people laugh and some people cry out? And I would argue, this is my theory, that it has more to do with the way that you're created than it does what God's doing in a room. When I look, if you look out at the ocean, a a sailboat and a cruise ship are going to look very different in the same environment. When the wind blows, a sailboat might look like it's tipping over, but a cruise ship, you may not be able to tell that the wind's blowing at all. The environment's the same. The wind is still blowing, but they're reacting differently based on how they're created. It's the same thing with a rock and a piece of paper. If the wind blows, the rock may not move at all, but the paper might fly around. This morning when we were in pre-service prayer, everybody looked a little different in the presence this morning. This is my shameless plug for pre-service prayer. It's at 9.15, we have a good time. (laughs) I ended up kind of out on the floor right here, somebody next to me on their knees, somebody laughing. I think there were some tears at some point. The wind's blowing. Everybody's reacting differently. So what does the Bible say about it? So crying is probably the manifestation that we're most comfortable with. We've all seen it at an altar call, people crying. You may have cried. And most people tend to be, tend to be pretty comfortable in church with crying. <laughs> Second Chronicles 34, 37, they cried and tore their robes. You read the Psalms and we know David liked to cry. <laughs> You read the prophets, they were emotional guys. (laughs) Falling down, slain in the spirit. You know, it was so interesting because the first time I encountered that, um, I actually, I watched some lady, she fell backwards and um, she hit her head when she she fell backwards. And I thought, oh my gosh, this lady's going to have a concussion. And she got up like nothing happened. And I was dumbfounded, like, she should be really seriously injured. (laughs) And she was totally fine. In Matthew 17, uh, 1 through 6, it describes Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He went and he transfigured. He revealed his glory. And when he did it, it says that Peter, James, and John fell down face first in front of him. The guards at the tomb, when they saw the angel, said that it says that they became like dead men. 
sounds a little like a John Wesley meeting. <laughs> Second Chronicles 5, 13 through 14. The presence was so overwhelming when the presence of God filled the temple. It was so overwhelming that the priest could not stand up. When God draws near, our bodies often respond. And I'm not arguing that every time somebody falls down that they're encountering God. But what I am saying is that sometimes it is God. And it's biblical. Trembling. You know, we actually have, Scripture tells us that buildings trembled when the presence of God was in them. Acts 4.29, the actual building trembles when the presence fills it. So you're telling me that if this structure could tremble, but his breath on my body wouldn't make me tremble? Daniel's body trembled in his encounter in Daniel chapter 10. Habakkuk 3.16, his body started trembling in the presence of the Lord. And then there's the two that most people, I think, are the most uncomfortable with. And it's kind of ironic because there's lots of, in the Psalms, Psalm 36 says that God's people drink from the river of delight. It's joy and laughter. Even God laughs. It says in Psalm 2, 4, God laughs at the plans of the enemy. Psalm 16, 11, pleasure is at God's right hand. Proverbs 17, 22, laughter does good like a cure. Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. For me, joy looks like something. It's not just a happy heart. <laughs> There's a revival, um, a Baptist revival in um, China in 1927. It was a 10-year-long revival. And in that revival, this is what, is what is written. It says, the room was filled with wind four or five times, and then holy laughter filled the space. A common descriptor in the Old and the New Testament for God's people encountering his presence is drunkenness. <laughs> There's some people on the front row that might be having a little of that. Uh-huh. <laughs> Jeremiah 23, 9, God shows up, and this is what Jeremiah says, I feel like a drunk man. In <laughs> mm. 1 Samuel 1, 12 through 17, Hannah is praying for a son in the temple, and Eli the priest, who should know what the presence of God looks like, looks at her and thinks that she's drunk in her travail and in her prayer. 
How many of you have ever seen a drunk person? They look like something. (laughs) You know, in Acts, in the story, when the Holy Spirit falls at Pentecost, they're up in the upper room, they come pouring out into the street and they're speaking in tongues. And what's written, there's this little, little phrase where people say, looks like they're drunk. Now, I've been in a lot of airports. I used to be a missionary. I've been in a lot of airports. When I hear people speaking different languages, I don't think that they're drunk. I think that they're from a different place. There's something else going on in this story. In the New Testament, wine is used often to make theological points. Matthew 9, 15 through 17 talks about taking new wine and old wineskins. And then in John 2, uh, verse 1 through 11, is the story of the wedding at Cana. Which, by the way, that story is not about Jesus turning water into wine to get drunk people drunker. When he turned water into wine, he took the water in jars of purification that were used as an act of worship to purify the outside of the man to enter into the presence, which is what the law does. Purifies the outside of the man to enter into the presence. And what Jesus did is he took the water to purify the outside, turned it into wine to be consumed so that it would transform you from the inside out. Don't be drunk with wine, be drunk with his spirit. That's what Ephesians tells us. Be transformed from the inside out. Why do people get drunk in the natural? To feel joy, to feel bold, to fit in, to have a sense of belonging, to find relief from fear. They're looking for courage. And we get all of these when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. When in the upper room, When the Holy Spirit came, they were filled with boldness to preach the gospel. You scared to evangelize? I got to care for that. (laughs) The point here, hear my heart. My heart is not to advocate for you to manifest. But my heart here is to offer freedom for however God touches you, for you to respond. Not advocating for a wild meeting, but I'm saying if a wild meeting were to occur, we're okay.
And just because there's a biblical precedent for something doesn't mean I'm advocating for it. In 1 Samuel 19, there's a story where some men on the road got so filled with the Spirit, they got naked. I am not advocating for that. (laughs) That will create problems for our security team. (laughs) Please keep your clothes on. (laughs) It may make you uncomfortable, but it may not be unbiblical. So how do you discern what God's doing in a room? We don't judge things based on our suspicion or based on our discomfort. Discernment that rides on fear and discomfort is really just another word for suspicion. We judge things by the fruit of them. And sometimes fruit takes some time. I've been in meetings before where I've seen people trembling on the floor because they needed deliverance from a demon, because they were encountering God, or because that was what their flesh was doing. And it all looked the same. We make judgment calls on fruit according to the law of love. Matthew 13, 24 through 30, I'm going to read it. I am going to actually read from the Bible, make this a legal message. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping... His enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together in the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. See, this is a great parable for a presence-focused culture. Because in this story, the wheat and the tares, they look the same while they're growing. It's really hard to tell them apart. But if you go too soon to pluck up what's not fruitful, you're also going to pluck up what is. We don't want to be so quick to pluck things up that we've decided aren't God before we've seen the fruit and we've given it time to grow.
1 Corinthians 13, 13 through 15 give us really great guidelines for discernment. He says, pursue love. 14 verse 12. Since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, he's talking about supernatural gifts. Since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Verse 26, let all things be done for building up. Verse 32, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. What God is after isn't the manifestation. He's for the transformation. How your body reacts is irrelevant, but the transformation of the inner man is what matters. Last week, I mentioned the story of the Samaritan woman in John 4, the woman at the well. Her encounter with the presence of Jesus totally transformed her, and she went back into her city, and the city was transformed. Transformed people transform cities. It's not about the manifestation. It's about the transformation. It's about the fruit. Thank you, Jesus. There's always a human element to God moving on people. I used to be really good at being the flesh police. When I was a new believer, sometimes still, when I forget who I am. When God's spirit interacts with humans, there's always going to be a flesh element, always. Sometimes just a little and sometimes quite a lot. But if there's even the slightest bit of fruit, I'm hungry for fruit. I want to see fruit. I want to see that seed, that one little tiny sliver of a seed grow up into something really beautiful. So in a second, I'm going to pray. And I actually feel like there's people in the room that have been really hungry for a new encounter. And in a second, I'm just going to have you stand. And that might take some courage. So if you need to take a big drink of the Spirit. (laughs) Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. God, we invite you to encounter us however you choose to encounter us. And we just say yes. God, you have our yes. You have our yes. You have our yes. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. 